Welcome to the Freedom Formula for Physicians podcast, where it's all about slashing your debt, slashing your taxes, and creating a liberated lifestyle. And now, your host, who met his wife while training for the 400 meters in Seattle and is eating gluten-free while lusting after bread, Dave Denniston. Hello, my friends. Welcome back to another episode of the Freedom Formula for Physicians podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping doctors like you slash your debt, slash your taxes, and live a liberated lifestyle. Well, I am honored to have another guest here with us to talk about his experiences as a physician, as well as some of the stuff he does for a side hustle. He is an MD. He is a medical and legal consultant and physician coach. As a matter of fact, for the past 13 years, he has provided some pre-trial, pre-litigation medical consulting to our legal system. And he is the creator of a new subspecialty of forensic medicine, which any physician in any specialty can learn to do. So I'm so glad to have him on the show. Please help me welcome Dr. Armin Feldman. Welcome, Armin. Hi, Dave. It is a pleasure to uh, be here on your podcast and pleasure to be talking with you. Well, glad to have you with me here, Armin. And uh, I would love to learn just about your life, your your struggles, your challenges, your your joys and uh, ups and downs. So why don't you talk to us talk to us a little bit about your background? Where are you from? Where did you grow up? I grew up in the Midwest. I grew up in uh, Milwaukee uh, and uh, went to uh, the uh, University of Wisconsin for my undergraduate. Uh, stayed at the University of Wisconsin, making me an eight-year veteran for medical school. Uh, and after that, I uh, went out to Colorado, to Denver. I did my internship in internal medicine uh, and thereafter uh, did my residency training in psychiatry. And uh, after I finished my residency training, I continued, I was in private practice, but uh, I continued on with my training and uh, I am a graduate uh, uh, of the Denver Institute for Psychoanalysis. So I uh, was a psychiatrist and a psychoanalyst uh, and did that for over 20 years before making a shift in what I was doing. Mm. So tell me about growing up in the Midwest. Were you raised um, by, were your parents physicians or your dad a, a doctor or not completely related at all? Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So my father uh, was a professor of dentistry at Marquette Dental School. And in fact, for most of his career, he was the director of residency training for the Marquette Dental School. Uh, my mom, uh, you know, at those times uh, was a stay-at-home mom, but she she also had, as we would call it today, a side gig. She was very active in charitable organizations and 
uh, was the uh, Wisconsin uh, president for an organization called ORT, Organization for Rehabilitation Through Training for a number uh, of years. So uh, that's, uh, that's my parents' background. We grew up in, I grew up in Shorewood, which is a suburb of Milwaukee, right on Lake Michigan. Well, we, uh, we had the pleasure of doing a, a, a road trip and spent a few days up in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, drove here from, from Bloomington, and I had never been out there before. And man, the mosquitoes out there, I swear, were three <laughs> times the size of what we have here in Minnesota. Right. And we finally <laughs> called them our state bird. Was yeah, that, really. You, you have those experiences in, in uh, Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, yeah. The, the, as you know, the summers are quite hot. Uh, and the winters are, are quite uh, cold and can be bitter. You know, uh, in, at the University of Wisconsin in Madison, uh, there is a famous Bascom Hill. And you have to climb, at the top of Bascom Hill is a statue of uh, Abraham Lincoln, which uh, some people may know about. But uh, you have to climb that hill in order to get to your classes. And uh, in the wintertime, no matter how many layers of clothes I had in, I, I could never warm up. I had to concentrate on not being chilled to the bone. And I have to admit that I thought, you know, someday I'm going to find some place to live that's a little warmer than this. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I love it. Well, the nice thing about about Colorado and and uh, the Denver area is is you know it, it does snow there, of course, but it sure. I swear it melts like a day or two later, even during the winter time. It seems like so you know it doesn't stick around too crazy long. Yeah, that's right. Well, we're you know Mile High City, right? We're fifty two eighty, and uh, the other thing we're blessed with is uh, three hundred days a year of sunshine. So you're right, even with the worst uh, snowstorms or blizzards, sun comes out and uh, in a day or so, uh, all the snow is melted. Yes, sir. No, I love it out there. Uh, as a lot of folks don't buy, buy and sell land out, out in, in Colorado all the time. But anyhow, um, I would love to just kind of reflect a, a little bit more on your childhood growing up. So your dad, you know, was, was in, in the healthcare field, if you will, maybe not a, a doctor, but certainly he was around that. Uh, what, what influenced you, do you think, to become a physician, even though your, your dad wasn't a physician? Yeah, well, he, you know, he was certainly uh, related, uh, being a dentist, but um, I can tell you that um, he had, uh, one of his offices was at the VA hospital in Milwaukee, and um, he used to, I think starting, about when I was 12, he would take me to Grand Rounds at the hospital. And uh, I was uh, hooked and fascinated from the first time I ever went to Grand Rounds. And uh, I think I wanted to be uh, a physician from that moment on. Mm. Wonderful, wonderful. And what about, you know, kind of kind of money lessons uh, along the way? You know what? Um, you know, certainly many dentists, many, many doctors are, are um, famous for sometimes pinching pennies and being tight. Other ones are the complete mm -hmm. opposite and, mm -hmm. you know, earn a great salary and spend a lot of it. Um, well, tell me about lessons you learned from your folks on money. Yeah. So my folks were, um, uh, children of the depression. And I think that that had a great influence on them. 
So I would say that the uh, biggest lesson I learned is uh, be frugal, but don't be cheap. Mm -hmm. And so um, I don't think we uh, really wanted for too much, but uh, I certainly learned the lesson of how to be frugal and have uh, continued with that my whole life. I'm proud to say that uh, we, uh, my wife and I, we have zero debt. Uh, we have uh, investments uh, at this point uh, in my life, I suppose, if I wanted to, uh, I could retire, although uh, I think I'm going into retirement feet first whenever that happens. Uh, <laughs> and, but that was probably the biggest lesson I learned from my folks. Uh, and then uh, I think the other influence was um, I had a girlfriend in high school um, and uh, her folks were um, ridiculously wealthy. Uh, uh, for example, her father would let me use the, her, his XKE, you know, his Jaguar. And um, uh, so uh, I also got a glimpse of uh, what that kind of life uh, could be like. And I think uh, I'm uh, competitive by nature, like most physicians, uh, but also uh, saw that uh, 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 life could be good if you uh, did the right things. Interesting. No, I, I think um, great influences, great perspectives. What about mistakes? You know, maybe you saw your folks make certainly, you know, learning from people's successes is huge, mm. but we also learn a lot from other people's mistakes. What are some mistakes that you saw? Maybe your parents or, or other friends or, or family make along the way? Uh, well, I hate to, you know, uh, say this, but I mean, I don't, didn't see my folks make uh, too many mistakes uh, along the way. Um, uh, I think um, rather than uh, as a mistake, but one thing I learned from my dad was how to be organized. And uh, uh, my wife might say I'm just uh, south of OCD. I would say I'm just north of OCD. <laughs> uh, but um, uh, that um, uh, idea of get organized, follow a plan, uh, uh, try to, uh, and, and strive to do your best is something that I learned along the way. Oh, those, those are, those are great things to learn. And certainly, uh, I, I agree with that. I think, um, a lot of people don't want to take the time to get organized. You know, they might be mm -hmm. organized maybe in certain areas, but when it comes to their finances, um, they may not want to take the time to look at their bank accounts, look at what they're spending, not necessarily doing a budget, you know, but just mm -hmm. even understanding how much did we spend this month and mm -hmm. uh, how much do we have coming in and how are my investments doing? You know, there's those right. not even necessarily a daily discipline, but just a monthly discipline, you know, I think mm -hmm. is, is so important that a lot of folks miss that in organizations um, along the way. Um, mm -hmm. So Armin, tell me about um, in going to um, medical school, undergrad, did you have much in the way of student debt in going, coming out of um, that into residency? I know I didn't, I was very fortunate that way. Um, uh, my uh, father had uh, a, a sister uh, who was married to a guy who uh, owned a, uh, uh, 
factory that uh, made wooden broom handles uh, before World War II. And after, it sounds like the movie The Graduate, but after that, uh, after the war, he switched, was one of the first ones, I guess there was Bakelite first, but first ones to switch to plastics. And he made a phenomenal amount of money. I was always awed by their house in Chicago uh, on Lakeshore Drive. But um, they were very, very generous. And uh, when I was born, uh, they uh, gave my parents uh, some uh, money, which was significant at the time, and said, here, put this away for Armand's College. And um, uh, 18 years later, uh, when I needed it, it was there. And uh, that's what paid for my uh, undergraduate and a um, couple of years of med school. And that I took out some student loans for the last two years, and, uh, but was able to pay those off right away. What a blessing to, to have that. What, what do you make of, you know, today with so many of us, um, those that are, that are coming out of medical school, you know, it's not unusual. I talk to folks that have 300,000, I've seen 400 or 500,000. Those are more yeah. unusual, but it, you do see it in student debt. What do you make of that? I think it's a shame. I mean, I, uh, there's got to be a, a better way uh, for uh, young people to uh, finance a higher education. Uh, it just uh, seems um, preposterous and, and really probably not good for our economy in general to have young people like that in so much debt. I agree. That's, it's, um, it's really tragic. I mean, literally it's a house, right? I mean, if, if you had a- Yeah, that's right. You can't buy a house, right? you have a house of, of student debt, which, you know, certainly, I mean, compared to many other people, you know, we are all very blessed and, and physicians still have a, a high income at this particular day and time. So you can work your way out of it, but it takes years um, mm -hmm. to, to get there. Um, so I, I don't think um, too many people are saying boohoo, but it's stressful. You know, I think the, the stress of it and, and that, that um, as doctors making decisions to have that hanging over your head, um, I think can lead some folks to um, uh, make decisions that, that give them more money, right. In order to get the right. productivity um, you know, everything's been driven that way. And that, that just right. adds to the problem rather than focusing yeah. on, on the patient. So I feel strongly about that. And I sure hope um, people smarter than me can, uh, can, can continue to come, come up with better solutions to reduce the cost of uh, yeah, me too. higher education. Um, so, if, if I remember correctly, um, psychiatry was what your residency was in? Right. Mm -hmm. And um, what happened as you got out of residency? Did you um, join a, a private practice or a hospital or what happened? I was in solo private practice. Uh, and uh, my practice was a general psychiatry practice uh, and a practice of psychoanalysis. But um, what happened uh, is that um, I met a young guy, uh, same uh, age as me after I got out of training, and he was uh, socially, and he uh, is, was then and is still a, a personal injury attorney. And um, we uh, hit it off. We're still friends. It's over 30 years later. And... Um, 
uh, he was an associate in a firm. Uh, he formed, uh, after a couple of years, he and uh, one of the other associates formed their own law firm uh, and went and struck out on a personal injury uh, practice. And um, he started uh, sending me uh, his um, uh, injured uh, clients, uh, particularly uh, injured clients with head injuries. And uh, one thing uh, led to another. And my specialty uh, really turned out to be mild traumatic brain injury. And I uh, wound up, uh, well, and I, I eventually in Denver, I started a head injury rehabilitation uh, treatment uh, center, uh, uh, actually of my own design and wound up having other psychiatrists, psychologists, neuropsychologists, biofeedback therapists, psychotherapists, and others working for me at that clinic. And uh, then my next clinic was in Colorado Springs. My next clinic was in Detroit uh, because of the uh, way insurance payments worked. And it just grew and grew from there. And I wound up owning uh, outpatient head injury rehab clinics all over the country, which I was uh, fortunate enough to eventually sell. And after I sold the clinics, um, not only was I out of a job, but uh, I was uh, too young to retire. And I was thinking about what I wanted to do next. And I had tests of... Can, can, can yeah. I interrupt you there real quick? So, mm-hmm. so um, I'd like to dig into that that part of, of selling the practice because mm-hmm. may, maybe someone's listening out there and they own a private practice mm-hmm. and they're, they're thinking perhaps one day of selling it. What, what are some, some hints or thoughts, um, lessons learned from doing that, that you would pass on to someone that might be where you were 20 years ago? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, first of all, like you said earlier, uh, you always have to know what your numbers are. Uh, you have to know what your balance sheet is. You have to know the worth uh, of your business. You have to have an economy of scales on your costs. And um, by the way, my um, uh, MBA is from the School of Hard Knocks. But one thing I did do is I had a number of business mentors, coaches, uh, smart business people, some of which I paid a lot of money to, who uh, I was trained by along the way. Uh, and uh, when uh, the business got uh, big enough and profitable enough to sell, uh, I was, uh, through my contacts, I met a business broker and uh, worked with the business broker and sell the business. Did, when, when you look at structuring it, you know, I, I usually look at it, there's three different ways, you know, down payment where you get some cash for it, mm-hmm. um, earn out where you earn um, a payout based on how the business performs. Mm-hmm. And often you can act as a bank with a promissory note. Mm-hmm. Um, nowadays, you know, a lot of hospital systems will go and just pay cash often. You know, it's all right. down payment um, mm-hmm. to, to a lot of physicians, unless they keep them on. You know, there might be some sort of, mm-hmm. of earnout related thing. Um, how, how did you think about, you know, kind of structuring it where you just looking to get paid out? You know, was it almost like a retirement plan mm-hmm. in a sense where you get paid out over a long time period? We don't need to know the numbers, of course, but, mm-hmm. you know, just yeah, I got, like, how'd you go? I got, that? yeah, well, this was a Fortune 500 company that bought me out. Mm. So um, I was paid out 
essentially, not entirely, but in a lump sum. In a lump sum. Nice. So you just, you just more or less walk away. I'm sure some, some training in there, but uh, that's wonderful. Um, mm-hmm. And why did you decide on, on a fortune 500, you know, versus, you know, um, a hospital system or, you know, some, mm-hmm. some uh, maybe, maybe even some of your current physicians that were probably working under you in the clinics, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. why did you decide that? Because uh, they had the best. Uh, well, first of all, I, uh, they were early on in the in the process, and they had the best offer. Mm. Well, it's, that's that's a lot of thought goes into this stuff, and you know a lot of pros and cons. So, thank you for sharing that. Well, thank you, my friends, so much for listening to the last podcast. I am pleased to announce that I am now a completely independent financial advisor, where to the point now I can really integrate my financial planning practice with this podcast. If you might be looking for help, if you have found any of our information here interesting or relevant, and you're looking for a second opinion, I'm making myself available for 30 minute strategy sessions. And if you want to arrange a time to meet with me to discuss your situation and see if we might be a good fit for one another, I'd like you to call our office and speak with Kyla. Our phone number is 612-284-2409. Again, that's 612-284-2409. And I look forward to helping you with your financial situation. And now for some lovely legal disclosures required by our lawyer friends. Investment advice is only offered in jurisdictions where Centurion Financial Strategies, LLC, Centurion is appropriately registered or exempt from registration. Our Form ADV Part 2 brochure can be obtained free of charge at advisorinfo.sec.gov by searching for our firm name or its unique CRD number, which is 316-454. This podcast is not a solicitation to provide advisory services in any jurisdiction in which we are not appropriately registered or excluded. The information, statements, and opinions contained in this podcast have been obtained from or are based on information obtained from sources which we believe to be reliable, but we do not warrant or guarantee the timeliness or accuracy of such information. This podcast is intended for informational purposes only and should not be construed as personalized investment, tax, or legal advice. Opinions expressed by any guest are their own opinions and do not necessarily reflect the firm's views. You should carefully consider your own financial circumstances and needs prior to making any investment in securities or purchasing any insurance products. As always, past performance is not indicative of future results. Investing in securities or really anything else involves the risk of loss. If by some chance in this particular podcast I mentioned insurance products, insurance products are backed by the financial strength and claims paying ability of the issuing insurance company. They may be subject to restrictions, limitations, and early withdrawal fees, which vary by issue. You should always consider the charges, risks, expenses, and investment objective of any insurance products before entering a contract. And that, my friends, wraps it up. Wish you all the best. Feel free to contact us with any info at www.daviddeniston.com. Thank you so much and have a good one. Bye-bye.
Um, so, so um, you've now sold your business. You, you had um, been exposed, it sounds like, to legal consulting, um, as, as I had interrupted you. Can you please, please do continue um, yeah. that story? So uh, as part of my work on a day-to-day -day basis, I testified as an expert witness uh, on behalf of my uh, patients who were either being cut off of their medical care or offered some pittance of a settlement. And um, so uh, I had a good sense of uh, how uh, healthcare was delivered in this corner of medicine, the adversarial nature of the work. Uh, and uh, uh, I thought, well, maybe what I could do uh, is, and in the work that I did, I, I had, anyway, had to know a lot of medicine outside of my field anyway. So uh, I thought, well, maybe what I could do is just consult to attorneys on any kind of medical question that they have in a case. And uh, the rest turned out to be history. Now, um, I, the work is pre-trial, pre-litigation. Uh, and so uh, it's either in the service of helping the attorney to get a more favorable settlement uh, or helping and or helping the uh, helping the attorney save time and helping the attorney get the appropriate medical care for their clients and negotiate the um, medical aspects of cases. So um, I always work uh, with attorneys who um, are attempting to settle cases. So um, the area now even though a physician in any specialty can learn how to do this, but uh, the attorneys that I work with are personal injury attorneys and workers' compensation attorneys who work on the claimant side. So I always work on the side of the injured person. So uh, I never work uh, on the side of the insurance company. Uh, and um, in fact, one of the things that makes this kind of consulting viable and makes it go is that in these areas of the law, probably nine out of every 10 cases settle. And so that's where we as medical legal consultants as opposed to medical experts come in. So anything that we can do uh, as medical legal consultants that's going to help that attorney to better negotiate uh, and settle uh, those nine out of 10 cases, those are the ones that we're involved in. Now, uh, in that one, uh, or maybe two, but one out of 10 case that they can't settle and they're going to take to trial, then at that point, they're going to need medical experts in every area of injury. But for the purpose of negotiating and settling the case, what the attorney needs are well-reasoned, well-thought-out medical opinions, reports, and other services uh, that are going to help those attorneys better negotiate and settle the case. So the way that our legal system works is that um, physicians, MDs and DOs, uh, are... Um, uh, can render medical opinions about medical questions. And so uh, what I uh, wound up doing is developing a whole uh, variety of very specific services. There's 16 or 17 different services that physicians that do this kind of work can offer uh, these attorneys to help them with their goals in, in, in the case. Um, and uh, uh one of the, this, of course, this is non-clinical work, but one of the great things about this non-clinical work is that uh, you are 
the physician is, knows that at, at the bottom line, they are still helping people. In fact, they're, uh, they're always working on the side of the injured person going up against the insurance company, often their own insurance company that's denying legitimate claims and helping that person essentially to, to uh, get back up on their feet. Um, the uh, other interesting thing for me and other physicians that do this is in the course of doing this, I have learned a tremendous amount of medicine because uh, in every case, what happens is, of course, first I talk to the attorney, then I read the medical records, uh, then I'll interview the client of the attorney, uh, uh, typically by uh, uh, by phone or Zoom meeting, uh, and then I'll go do my medical research for that particular case, those particular issues, uh, and then I'm ready to either write a report or help the attorney in some other way. So um, I've had the opportunity to learn a tremendous amount of medicine that I wouldn't have otherwise uh, known, and uh, it's been uh, really gratifying, really fun. You know, I'm not prepared, of course, to do any uh, orthopedic or neurosurgery, but I certainly would put my knowledge, I've done, I've done over 3,000 cases. I mean, I would put my knowledge base of spine injuries, rotator cuff injuries, complex regional pain syndrome, you name it, uh, uh, really up against anyone. And that's so what I tell physicians is if you love medicine, uh, and you have uh, and you enjoy lifelong learning and you have some intellectual curiosity. This is uh, not only a lucrative thing to do, but it's quite interesting and actually fun. And you get to and you get to help people. Yeah, absolutely. And I think those are all, all great things about it. As a matter of fact, I do know a couple of physicians that do this. So it's definitely viable. I, I personally have seen this done and, and work out well for folks. Um, mm -hmm the tell me about you know like in general like what with personal injury attorneys or or whatever mm -hmm. i'm sure some specialties all specialties are in demand but some mm -hmm. are probably more so than others like uh, yeah. what what specialties do you think get the most work from right um, so this kind I, of consulting your question is uh, i'm glad you asked the question because it really brings up a point so what you just asked me, that's not what, uh, what we do, what I do, what I teach. So what you asked me about is uh, what um, specialties wind up being medical experts in cases. And uh, are some medical specialties more likely to wind up being a medical expert? I never act as a medical expert. I never work in medical malpractice cases. So I work as a medical consultant in legal cases. I do not work as a medical expert. So uh, I'm working, as I said, uh, helping the attorney in those nine out of 10 cases that are negotiated and settled. So I'm going to answer any kind of medical question uh, that comes up in a case. So um, that is a huge distinction. Uh, and there have been medical experts for years, probably for centuries in legal cases. There have not been medical consultants helping attorneys pre-trial, pre-litigation until I started doing this work 14 years ago. Mm. So tell me about the, um, I know you said before we started, 
speaking that mm-hmm. um, that many of our, our residents and, and fellows and those sorts that perhaps, you know, this would not be a good fit for them at this time. Can you tell us more about that and when, mm-hmm. you know, a physician in their journey um, might be able to consider something like this? Sure. I'd be happy to answer that for you. Before I do, I want to finish my last thought, which is um, so, but any physician in any specialty can become a medical consultant in legal cases. Uh, And I've trained physicians in just about every specialty to do this kind of general work. So uh, it's much more related to what I said a minute minute ago about uh, having the enthusiasm to uh, learn about all kinds of aspects of medicine, do the research, write cogent reports and that kind of thing. So any physician can, in, in specific answer to your question, any physician can do this work if they have uh, the interest and energy to do it uh, and cut out the time to do it. Um, in answer to your last question is um, you, uh, you really need, it's probably not an absolute necessity, but you really do need a medical license to do this kind of work. And I'll explain that more in just a moment. But um, so uh, residents, uh, fellows, uh, physicians that haven't really completed all of their training, done an internship and get licensed in some state, uh, really probably um, this isn't a good fit for them, but certainly something for them to think about once they are are past that uh, step. Is, is, is that you don't have to be board certified necessarily or yes? No. Uh, again, if you're thinking about being board certified, that's thinking about being a medical expert. Certainly board uh, medical experts are going to testify at trial uh, need to be board certified. So, uh, but maybe I can clarify by giving an example. So, um, now, this, of course, never happens to me anymore because everybody uh, in uh, around here in Denver, maybe in Colorado, know who I am. And so this doesn't come up anymore. But when I started, let's say uh, I did a, a case for an attorney that had something to do with a rotator cuff injury, and, and they're trying to get something settled, uh, something included in the settlement. And so the uh, attorney has me look at the case. I write a report. Um, By the way, uh, the reports that uh, I write and other medical consultants write, they're certainly not behind the scenes. They're almost, they're always seen by opposing counsel. They're almost always seen by insurance adjusters. They're often seen by judges, treating doctors, IME doctors, and others. But so um, I write the report. Uh, the attorney that hires me sends it over to opposing counsel. Well, opposing counsel reads my report. What's the first thing they're going to do? They're, they're going to look me up, right? So uh, they'll look me up. They'll come back. They would come back, call the attorney that hired me and say, well, why should I pay any attention to this report? Dr. Feldman clearly isn't an expert in rotator cuff injuries. And what the attorney that hired me is going to say is, well, Dr. Feldman acts as a medical consultant for me in all my cases. And uh, I can tell you, if we can't get this issue settled uh, in uh, and put into the settlement based on Dr. Feldman's report, opinions backed up by evidence from the literature and so forth, and you force me to take this case to trial, 
when I hire my retained orthopedic uh, surgeon expert, they're going to say exactly what Dr. Feldman said in his report. In fact, they would be relying on the same literature that Dr. Feldman quoted in his report. So let's see if we can't get this set. So I'm um, curious to know, as, as I think about not every, well, well, perhaps every physician and every specialty could do it. Not everyone's mm -hmm. a good fit, right? Like I think about what I do. I do a land business on the side in addition to my main gig, but not everyone's mm -hmm. a good fit for the land business. You know, it really takes some particular mm -hmm. personalities. So can you speak to who, who's good at this kind of thing and who's, right. who's not a good fit as well? Mm -hmm. So, uh, the biggest fit uh, is uh, what I already mentioned, is that um, a physician that some doctors just like to stay in their lane, right? They just, uh, they're interested in their specialty. They're not really interested in anything else. Well, this isn't for them. But uh, if you're a physician that uh, enjoys uh, medicine in general, uh, if you're a physician that uh, would be interested in learning about uh, a, a whole variety of aspects of medicine and uh, everything that's involved with that, current treatments and so forth, uh, you uh, enjoy, uh, enjoy the process of lifelong learning, and uh, then this makes a good fit. So uh, really, uh, I, I've trained doctors from pathologists to ENT to OBGYN to general surgeons to physiatrists to psychiatrists, you name it. And um, so that interest in medicine is one thing. The other thing is um, you do have to have uh, some um, interest in uh, uh, other people, uh, have some uh, enjoy interacting with people. Um, this is a business, and so uh, you will be interacting uh, with the attorneys, uh, with the clients of the attorneys, uh, with other uh, healthcare professionals and um, uh, individuals that uh, are uh, enjoy that, feel comfortable uh, in uh, social situations and that kind of thing, probably are better fit. Well, and I also generally think, you know, um, there, there's multiple aspects to every job. And in this one, um, certainly they're, they're starting the business and the hustle to market yourself and network and, and get mm -hmm. out there. Um, there's, of course, the, the expert side of it, like you mentioned, um, with just um, being getting up to speed on things. And then I would also say, you know, it's um, developing a skill to be able to do verbal tennis, I would have mm. to imagine is, is a skill that, that, that you, you have to be willing to do and, and develop, right. You know, mm. maybe um, because at the end of the day, you know, if you do well for one attorney, you know, they'll love you and use you for another case and refer you to their right. friends and stuff like that. So, yeah, that's true. Although I will tell you that um, what I teach and what my coaching program is all about is really two things. One is the business side. Uh, how, how do you um, successfully start up? And then how do you successfully run long-term a medical legal consulting business? And uh, one of the things uh, that uh, I tell prospective uh, 
physicians that are interested in doing this is uh, this involves running your own business. Uh, this isn't uh, uh, something that should be uh, a hobby <laughs> or uh, a practice, but actually a, a business. Uh, and uh, you have to think about it like that, but I'll teach you everything that you need to know to make that business go long-term. Um, and then uh, the coaching program is also uh, about the uh, medicine that you need to know. So um, the I'll train the physician uh, on some of the things that you mentioned. So how do you um, uh, approach the attorneys. What do you do when you get in front of them? Uh, how do you uh, operate your business on a day-to-day -day basis for success? Uh, how do you market your business? And uh, uh, how do you actually start the business? There's a launch. There's a business launch plan uh, that's included. And, and I um, uh, not only are the doctors. Uh, getting a, a, a business system and all the tools that go with it, but they're actually getting a year of coaching with me. And uh, I think that's uh, something that they uh, uh, appreciate. Definitely. When I think um, skills, skills can be developed and um, it, it's, it's definitely a time investment into mm -hmm. yourself as well as into becoming, becoming a better doctor. In, in many yeah. ways and, and certainly lucrative. And then um, yeah. doing a startup business, it takes a lot of time. You know, we, we often talk about on this podcast, you know, you can um, invest money and or time often. It ends up becoming a trade-off into things. You know, you can yeah. invest into a, a commercial real estate building that someone else manages, but then you have no control over it. Right with this kind of, of business, once you're a business owner and you're successful at it, you can really dictate your hours and how much right. you want to work. And it can be incredibly lucrative. Um, right. What, um, what, well, what, what the, a good what, friend that I have that does this, what, what, as I asked him questions about it, what, what he said that um, he really had to learn was marketing himself. Mm -hmm. And, and he got to be good at it, but it took a while. It wasn't like he just made a um, hundred thousand dollars, you know, in month one, as I think often as, as physicians, uh, much like, much like bankers in many ways, you're used to people coming to you, mm -hmm. um, especially if you're, if you're in a hospital system and um when all of a sudden people aren't coming to you and you have to work for it, it's a different mindset shift that right. you really have to um, change, um, in a, in a sense, you're, you're thinking about how you go about getting, uh, clients and, and investing into sending letters is what he has done quite a bit of, um, mm. to, to different attorneys. Um, can you tell us yeah. more about, you know, just people getting started? What are some typical ways that, um, people, people get started with this? Right. So uh, there are physicians, some physicians that do this full time like me. There are others that do it instead of retiring. But the largest group of physicians do this part time as a part time side gig as part of their existing practice. And what I tell physicians is that you really need at a minimum about eight hours a week in order to do this justice and make it fly. Um, if, and 
you can do as many hours after that as you want, but you need a minimum of about eight hours a week. If you don't have that much time, I don't suggest that you do it. But then uh, the, the next step is as part of the training that they get, um, they'll get everything uh, tried and true work for me as worked for uh, you know, over uh, the thousand physicians that I've trained in my training program. But uh, there's a step-by-step -step business launch plan. There's a step-by-step -step, uh, marketing plan, uh, all the tools that you need to go with it. So uh, if you, what I tell physicians is just follow the recipe and it'll work for you. It's worked in every place across the country. Uh, in fact, the biggest reason why physicians uh, actually fail at this is either uh, or they don't carve out the minimum eight hours a week necessary, or they don't take it as seriously as anything else they do in their professional lives. But if you don't do those two things and you just follow the system, you know, it'll work. And um, what, what is that system? You don't need to tell us everything, but uh, tell us a little bit about, um, about that. What, what, is, what does the system, what kind of things does the system having people do? Yeah, well, like I said, you know, everything is laid out. Here's what you do first. Here's how you start your business. Here's how you go from zero to up and running with your business. Here's how you market uh, your business. There are a couple of uh, two parts of the marketing system. First part is how do you get your returning clients? And then the second part is how do you keep them long term? As you sure you know that uh, you can be the best plumber, the best, best medical consultant on the planet. But uh, if you don't maintain what marketers call top of mind consciousness, even your best customers are going to forget about you. So uh, how do you uh, maintain that top of mind uh, consciousness? How do you do uh, that maintenance marketing? How do you uh, set up the operations to run your business on a day-to-day -day basis and, and so forth? It's all so, part so, of the training. So, so let us into one of them. You know, what's one of the ways that someone can market themselves? Well, uh, what I, uh, uh, I think the friend that you're talking about, he's probably acting as a medical expert. I don't think he's doing uh, the kind of things that uh, I'm doing or that uh, I've trained others to do. But, um, but um, one of the things uh, that I tell physicians is uh, the marketing plan that we use, um, it doesn't have anything to do with advertising. It really doesn't have anything to do. Uh, it doesn't have to have anything to do with spending money. What it has to do with is old fashioned elbow grease. You know, there's no getting around the fact that you have to uh, meet and meet, be, uh, meet face to face uh, with uh, attorneys. The, the services uh, that I offer and that others offer. They're not standard operating procedure for the attorneys until the physicians meet with them, educate them, uh, and make it so. So uh, I'm looking for just for a specific example mm -hmm. to help people. You don't have to tell the whole system, of course, but you know, like mm -hmm. what what's something that someone would do? You know, what what does that right. look like? You're saying some elbow grease. So what what, spe mm -hmm. what specific? Give give us an right. example of one activity that you would have mm -hmm. someone do to get clients. Right. So you have to call attorney offices. There's a, a script uh, and speak with the attorney. There's a script with regard to how to do that. Set up a face-to-face -face meeting with the attorney and then uh, meet with them, uh, of course, before the pandemic in their office or maybe now by Zoom meeting uh, and uh, go through an explanation of what it is that you do and why it's valuable to them. Got it. So, so kind of um, uh, cold calling, if you will. 
Um, actually, is, it's it's not cold calling because um, I have a system to make turn that into a warm call. Okay, so my maybe um, try and try and try and introduce yourself somehow beforehand before you ever make that phone call, kind of a thing. Correct. Got it. Got it. Well, I guess people at least an idea of the kind of things they would be doing, which is helpful. So thank you so much for for sharing mm-hmm. that. And um, Armin, as as we we wrap up this this podcast today, um, I would love to know, you know, certainly for yourself, you know, you've had a great a great journey. It sounds like financially, really um, got started off on the right foot, and you've you've um, practicing medicine um, with your own private practice, sold it for for a significant sum. It sounds like, and now you, you've had this. Um, consulting business and and you sounds like you plan on continuing to work. So I would love to know for you, mm-hmm. how do you define financial freedom? Well, I think the first step is you can't ha- is to eliminate any debt uh, and um, uh, never have any credit card debt. Uh, I know for physicians they've got this huge chunk of. Uh, student loans, but um, do you ever, you know, your first investment should be an investment in reducing your debt. Um, and uh, then ha- uh, have a plan for what you're going to do uh, to, uh, with regard to your uh, investments uh, so um, you're not caught off guard as you age. Absolutely. And, and, to you, you know, do you find financial freedom as like a, a certain number or do you just define it as, hey, you're, you're debt free now. So you, your, your options are, are open. You know, tell me more about what your definition of being financially free would be. Well, I guess ultimately is it's uh, not worrying about money, uh, uh, being uh, uh, feeling you can do the things that uh, you really feel that you want and have to do in your life and not be held back uh, financially by that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And in any closing thoughts or anything um, that, that you can speak to um, quickly that maybe we didn't cover that you'd like to tell everybody. Uh, no, I, I just think, you know, if physician, you know, the, the, one of the biggest buzzwords uh, these days is having a side gig, right? And uh, if you want a a side gig that is uh, interesting, uh, lucrative, rewarding, uh, that uh, doing medical legal uh, consulting is something you should consider. Okay, wonderful. And if people are are interested, they want to know more, um, what's the best way they can learn more about you and reach out about your program? Yeah, probably the best way is to go to M-D-B-I-Z, kind of short for biz, M-D-B-I-Z-C-O-N, which is short for consulting, mdbizcon.com. Perfect. Well, there you go, everybody. You know, some some great things to think about. Maybe you've heard about this, but didn't understand the details as much. So I hope um, you have a better understanding of that now. And thank you again, Armin, for being a guest today. Yeah, it was a pleasure. Nice talking with you, Dave. All right, my friends. Well, that wraps up another episode of the Freedom Formula for Physicians podcast. Remember, remember to slash your debt. 
slash your taxes and live a liberated lifestyle. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Well, thank you, my friends, so much for listening to the last podcast. I am pleased to announce that I am now a completely independent financial advisor, where to the point now, I can really integrate my financial planning practice with this podcast. If you might be looking for help, if you have found any of our information here interesting or relevant, and you're looking for a second opinion, I'm making myself available for 30-minute strategy sessions. And if you want to arrange a time to meet with me to discuss your situation and see if we might be a good fit for one another, I'd like you to call our office and speak with Kyla. Our phone number is 612-284-2409. Again, that's 612-284-2409. And I look forward to helping you with your financial situation. And now for some lovely legal disclosures required by our lawyer friends. Investment advice is only offered in jurisdictions where Centurion Financial Strategies, LLC, Centurion is appropriately registered or exempt from registration. Our Form ADV Part 2 brochure can be obtained free of charge at advisorinfo.sec.gov by searching for our firm name or its unique CRD number, which is 316-454. This podcast is not a solicitation to provide advisory services in any jurisdiction in which we are not appropriately registered or excluded from registration. The information, statements, and opinions contained in this podcast have been obtained from or are based on information obtained from sources which we believe to be reliable, but we do not warrant or guarantee the timeliness or accuracy of such information. This podcast is intended for informational purposes only and should not be construed as personalized investment, tax, or legal advice. Opinions expressed by any guest are their own opinions and do not necessarily reflect the firm's views. You should carefully consider your own financial circumstances and needs prior to making any investment in securities or purchasing any insurance products. As always, past performance is not indicative of future results. Investing in securities or really anything else involves the risk of loss. If by some chance in this particular podcast I mentioned insurance products, insurance products are backed by the financial strength and claims paying ability of the issuing insurance company. They may be subject to restrictions, limitations, and early withdrawal fees, which vary by issue. You should always consider the charges, risks, expenses, and investment objective of any insurance products before entering a contract. And that, my friends, wraps it up. Wish you all the best. Feel free to contact us with any info at www.daviddeniston.com. Thank you so much and have a good one. Bye-bye.